0: Hi, I'm Rachel Dillon and together with my husband, Marcus Dillon, we lead who's really the boss podcast where we highlight the joys and challenges of running a business with your spouse or family. Our mission is to strengthen families and businesses by helping listeners avoid the mistakes we have made so they can lead and live happily ever after. Well, welcome back to another episode of Who's Really the Boss podcast.
1: Hey, thanks for having me back.
0: So talking about it's time to break up, not uh, our relationship, but in bad relationships. And the bad relationships that we're really highlighting today are client, bad client relationships and why it's so important to acknowledge that they exist and make a plan of what to do with them.
1: Yeah. Uh, So this is no matter what your business, you're going to have some issues with things that come up, people that you've let into the business, whether it's clients in this scenario, uh, but you also have team members and different people that could, you know, need to go at certain times. But definitely in this conversation, we Allow people to come in the doors of our business, and then something to where maybe they fit at one time, but they no longer do, or they never quite fit. But we needed the cash flow, or the sale, or whatever it was, to allow them in the door.
0: Just go ahead and say it. All clients are
1: all clients are good clients, and, and? ones that pay you are even better.
0: So. <laughs> I don't want to steal your thunder. Uh, you love yeah. to share it, so I figure it was appropriate.
1: So at one time, maybe they had the promise of paying you uh, (laughs) and they're still in the door or they pay you, but it's not what you're worth, what the value you bring to that relationship or other relationships. And I think that's the other piece to hit on in this conversation is you may only bring X amount of value to that relationship, but given, capacity, if you had capacity to go do other things with other people, you could add twice as much value to those relationships and in turn be worth more. And and so I think those are the pieces that you have to evaluate. Was this client, if they were ever a good fit, are they a good fit today? Are they a good fit long-term for the future of the business?
0: Okay. Let's say somebody's walking around with blinders on. And they're not sure even how to identify if they have bad clients or not. What's one easy way to determine if you have a bad client?
1: Yeah. If you've got a team, ask your team who, bad, <laughs> who your bad clients are, because <laughs> um, they will tell you. Yeah,
0: absolutely. So that's something that we have done over the years. And a bad client that's harsh to say the relation the relationship is bad because it's draining something within your business and one thing that we have done multiple years is ask the team who feels draining and there's multiple ways to ask them but one of the ways that we ask like okay when you see their name come across either caller id or email or messaging that you like cringe or you heavy sigh <laughs> who are, who are those clients? Yeah. Make a list of those like keep a keep a running list of who is hard to deal with.
1: Yeah if you don't have a team, why it's important to ask the team for that perspective is because the team is getting those emails, those calls, whatever. Um, as an owner, you downplay those calls and the pain that comes with seeing their name on caller ID or in your inbox, because you also see the deposits and their name on those deposits when they pay. And uh, a team doesn't have that. And so I can think it's just one less um, a little less cloudy of a perspective from a team member aspect.
0: Yeah. Another area to look at is a client that is Kind of draining resources. So, you know, what would that look like from an owner perspective? Even the team probably can recognize that as well.
1: Yeah. So, draining of resources, time is a big resource. And uh, just given relationships and things like that, it comes back to the time and the quality of time that you can spend with uh, the client. The main thing there is looking at, and I think it goes back to bad fit all these conversations where is it a service line or an offering that you do where you only have a small handful of clients that you serve? And so we did that when we had an audit practice and we only had a very small set of clients and it just no longer, you have to step back and say, does this make sense with the grand scheme of things? Can we reallocate these resources, time, money, whatever those are and go do other things for people long-term. And we had to make that call from the audit perspective, from the audit service perspective. And there's been no looking back whatsoever. And the other piece there, whenever you only do a small number of type of projects, your liability goes up quite a bit because you're just not in it that often. and there could be a chance you don't stay up on top of education as much as possible, or the liability is just greater in those service lines. So that's just an example of where it wasn't, it wasn't bad person. It was bad fit on that client side.
0: Yeah. And so we talk about kind of, they might be a client who takes up a lot of the time, a lot of either your time or a lot of your team's time. It might require that you buy special software or have special processes that go in. Some might argue that's fine. If they want us to serve them, we'll serve them. We'll just raise the price. (laughs) So what would, what would you say there? If someone says it's okay, we'll just charge them to get value out of that relationship. What did we see happen? Uh,
1: People paid it and it still didn't make sense. And so that was our results. Um, I will give people if they were to tell me that and they were going to build upon that client base to go do more of that service line, then I would say, okay, what's the timeline on building out that service line and can we do that? I think you brought up a great point on software. If you've got a one or only a very small handful of clients on a certain software and you're continuing to pay for that software support that software that may mean bad fit. Um, Team members, if you only have a team member that only works on a certain client, or if a client will only work with you as the owner, that is not a good fit any longer in my mind. Because what happens if that team member leaves? Or what happens if you want to retire one day? (laughs) Talking about like succession planning and kind of going back to that. It's just not a very long-term viable solution for you as the owner, or for any other owner after you.
0: Yeah, so we <laughs> tried an experiment with some clients that maybe we'll call them extra grace required. That was a term that we came up maybe with some of our church friends, um, but people that were just harder to deal with or the services that they needed were just so intense that nobody really wanted to do them. And so we did raise the price. However, (laughs) their expectations with that price increase doubled. So whatever problem we thought we were solving, we kind of multiplied it because now they're paying more, so they expected more. Um, Where we were just trying to even out and recoup some of the cost that was associated with them now we were having to spend extra time or they weren't pleasant anymore because they didn't feel like they were getting the value for what they were paying
1: yeah uh that's that's definitely a balance because if you go in to raise someone's price on trying to work them out of the door it could backfire it it backfired on us in a couple of occasions i would say How you respond to their, if you're wanting to do that and you want to increase price to try to drive people out, it could be okay. But you have to know your response to whenever they ask you, what else are you going to do for me given the new price? And if you are trying to drive them out, your response should be the same thing we did last year, right? Not over promise, under deliver, Because it's a bad fit. You just don't want, you don't want to sacrifice anymore.
0: I think sometimes you just have to make that call and make that hard decision first. If this is someone we don't want to serve anymore, a lot of times the solution is not just to raise the price. They may just pay it and expect more of you and become a bigger thorn in the side rather than just ripping off the bandaid from the beginning and helping them find a new provider.
1: Yeah. And I think the the reason why this conversation today came up was because I was visiting with a friend who runs a CPA firm and essentially boiled down the conversation to I, I'm so busy with bad clients, like in parentheses. I'm so busy to accept better work. And then it, he added a comment, like, I feel like I'm trapped. And mm-hmm. I think that's what whenever we were planning these conversations, that's what led to today. And how do you get yourself out of that trap is, takes time and planning. And, and I think, um, you can't do it just by raising prices alone. The unfortunate thing was he had great clients willing to engage him, wanting to engage him for high quality, high value work. And he, couldn't do it. It was a strain on the resources running the business the way it was today that he couldn't accept those new engagements. So that's that's ultimately how we led to this topic.
0: Yeah. I think another area is reputation. So when you have clients maybe that have a bad relationship, so whether it's them expecting or wanting more than what you provide or what you're able to provide. Or perhaps it's serving someone who doesn't share the same values that you serve, but other people know that you work with them. So there's a lot of areas where that bad relationship could be doing more damage um, than it's worth just from a revenue perspective.
1: Yeah. The funny thing there is every time we've let go of a mutual client with like a referral partner and we have a conversation with the referral referral partner that they really just weren't a good fit for us and where we were going nine times out of ten the referral partner was like oh man they're not a good fit for us either and they were (laughs) just kind of serving that person because we were also there and uh i can i can think just rattle off situations where that happened and so i think having confidence to go to mutual referral partners that are working with mutual clients and ask like, is this situation normal in this relationship with this person? Cause they're kind of driving me crazy or not accepting advice. What? And I think you build confidence to do the right thing. And you're, you know, a rising tide rises, uh, how's that go like a rising tide raises all ships type thing. <laughs> like you're making that referral partners business that much better as well so i would i would encourage you if you've got some of those situations to kind of act on getting a second opinion as well
0: yeah and we um at dba have done this we have helped find new providers or helped refer on exited bad relationships in a few different ways so you want to talk through what are some ways because nobody first of all nobody wants to be broken up with yeah. So there's always going to be some sort of repercussion from the other side. Whoever's getting dumped does not like that feeling. And it doesn't matter if it's just from a tax return or it, it does not matter. People take offense. Yeah. Um, and so there are ways that have worked better than others for us in helping to kind of graduate on some of our former clients.
1: Yeah. And you're using a lot of political language. So (laughs) um, I I think we have had like just brutal relationships, clients, but so thankful that it's not the norm. And even I, I keep coming back to bad fit and we evolve quite a bit. DBA has evolved under our leadership quite a bit to where the clients that we've served probably the first five years of the business do not like the way that we serve those clients, then even if they still are a client today, which we have a few, it, it looks completely different. And the bad fits that we kind of had to address over the last seven to eight years are a result of our evolution, not really anything the client did. And so what we, what we did to kind of gain ground or, you know, stabilize during that season was we, we had to say no. We had to stop the incoming for a season. And so maybe that's the incoming individuals or businesses. For us, it, it was both. And we just kind of had to say, we've got to work through this resource drain that we've already got. We can't add additional people into the 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 bus is full type thing. So we, we addressed that first. Um, the second part we did was with that existing client list and not taking any prospects into because we we kind of stopped that client list we addressed okay is the value we bring matched with the price that we charge and so a lot of times there was disparity and we had to increase price to match the value we brought that immediately kind of causes attrition in that client list people go find new providers that can do that commodity of a tax return or that financial statement at the price that they're willing to pay and sometimes that wasn't us. So we stopped, we addressed price first or price second. The third thing we actually did was if they were still willing to pay the price that we just increased and in cause it matched the value we brought, we went to that remaining client list and asked, how can we serve them better? Can we serve them in additional ways? Yeah. Can we upsell them or cross sell them on services? And there was, there was opportunity there. And that's where we were shifting people into this better business model to have deeper relationships with monthly touch points and quarterly conversations and you know just a better overall plan. So that was that third step. And then from there, you have people that tell you no, like you're doing a great job, but it's never gonna be more than a tax return relationship or a annual conversation. Um, and that's fine. And then, so the fourth phase of that was after being told no once or twice, you start to block clients by these people are really good people and we're serving them really well under our old service model. Well, that service model is kind of retiring and those clients need to find a home. So great people, bad fit. We blocked those clients and exited them from our business. And allowed them to go be a great client somewhere else or somebody else. And so, anytime we could monetize that, we tried to. And so, we knew that there was value in these great clients, but they were a bad fit. So, because of that value, there is there is a potential for for monetizing it. And we were able to do that six or seven times over with different firms. And uh, those firms still talk to us today, for the most mm-hmm. part. And um, you know, some some of those firms will have. The same situation where what we considered was a good client for those old service lines isn't a great client fit for them, but they needed to kind of get them in the door to realize that and the way that we structured a lot of those deals where they had time to figure that out and see if it was going to be a good fit. And so it was kind of a win-win on both sides, but those four steps, you know, were really what kind of led us to reshaping the business, providing cash flow and allowing us a, a little bit easier pace to evolve versus not.
0: And we clearly defined our ideal clients and clearly defined our service lines that were offered. That made it very easy to determine do these fit if they want these services then yes they're a fit. So maybe they were an ideal client but they didn't have the services they weren't engaged for the services that we were offering. So that was kind of first. I think um and that so. happened
1: before we um, kind of around the same time we had to start telling people no, because <laughs> yeah. a lot of service providers will just say, I work with small business owners and like define that or well, I work with high net worth individuals we will define high net worth. You know,
0: so. there was a real easy way to realize we didn't early on in DBA that we didn't have an ideal client or very defined service line because anyone who would call, I would have to ask you, hey, do we do this? It's this type of business. Do we do it for them? And so um, that was real easy to know. It wasn't clearly defined. So if you're having to question can we do this? Who's going to do this? Or if the person who's interacting as kind of the front line for prospective clients can't answer that question, then just need to kind of better define, gain some clarity. Um, One of the things in those exits, the, the practical, like the actual how did it happen? How did you Monetize. How did you let the clients know? How did they not freak out? What were some of the steps that we took or how did we go about those transitions?
1: Yeah, it's it's not you, it's me. Um, (laughs) I think that's the piece where given the way that we led to even that ultimate conversation, we asked them, is there anything else we can do for you? We gave them the opportunity to engage us for additional services we made it pretty evident that we were evolving. And, um, you know, our team was growing, brands were changing, the way that we did things were changing, we were adopting new technologies. That's, that hasn't changed at all, even to where we are today. So if you don't like that, you're, you're pretty quick gonna, gonna get off the bus of somebody that is constantly evolving. Um, after we identified the clients that no longer fit, the first step, like you said, is going finding referral partners or somebody to um, serve those clients going forward. We, we just kind of reached out to peers. We knew people in our area. Ex- these clients are more of what I would say a local relationship, and they wanted someone locally to serve them. Mm-hmm. And so we looked at peers in our immediate geography and asked kind of had a relationship with them if they were looking to grow this type of client, this type of client base. And for the most part, people are because those CPA firms were where we were. Like they Mm -hmm. were just starting out or any, any client was a good client. We knew that these clients would pay them. So um, they were a great client. And that's how we started these conversations. If you're questioning how to even do that, just, google search cpa in your area and if someone's paying for seo or pay-per-click they're investing in client acquisition costs and they may be interested in a situation like this so i think we made those client blocks real easy to digest they weren't large um they weren't large purchases and even how we structured the purchase whether it was a retention um, based on first year or some type of mix of cash up front and retention, it all it all had to make sense. We didn't want to burn a bridge with a peer and those clients weren't going to fit with us long-term anyway. We really didn't have to monetize them. Monetizing, monetizing them was great and provided for additional runway to do different things, but it wasn't necessary after that you just have to give plenty of time i mean a great letter um, to the client or a phone call goes a long way most people realize that you're changing and that they no longer fit because they've told you no so i think that's why tell having them tell us no to an additional touch point or something like that was important um and essentially just saying hey we've done the hard work for you and we know that this new firm has capacity and and wants to serve you if they were looking for a change or had already identified their next service provider they're probably going to go with who they've already identified no sweat but if they were really lost i would say or didn't know where to start we at least gave them a place to start in those situations
0: yeah so we to let the clients know we sent like a actual mail, like a physical letter. We emailed that a lot of times as well, and then also followed up with a phone call to let them know. it That letter was Easier to write and probably easier to digest because it pointed to the specific service line and the ideal client that we were ne- that we now serve versus and they were able to recognize and disqualify themselves. Like, right. oh, I no longer fit this. I don't want that type of service. Um, some disqualify themselves because they don't want to use any type of technology. So they were they were fine too. But I think identifying the firms that would serve them well, not just identifying a firm, but one that would actually take care of those clients who wanted those clients, not that they were going to be a burden, Um, and letting the clients know there were very few responses of, no, I'll find somebody on my own. The responses were more like, so you trust these people, you you know them, and they know how to do whatever it was that we were referring them on for that was more of the response of course some were like but we've worked with you for 20 years how can we which we kind of laugh because we haven't been here for 20 years um the prior business was and so um and just in talking to them about how they would be served going forward then they could find comfort in knowing that okay this yes, what you're doing doesn't align. I'm not going to be happy really at the end of the day with how you do it. So let me, let me move
1: on too. It's funny because so, so many people connected us with our predecessor who we bought the firm, a a small block of clients from in 2011. And like you said, we've been with your for 20, 30 years. And it's like, uh, I haven't been practicing that long. Um, And 30 years ago, I was in junior high, you know, or whatever. <laughs> so I think it is some of the calling out kind of the false perspective that maybe they have in their mind. And people change professional service providers all the time. And it's not it, It's not that big a deal on our side, you know? Everybody's mm-hmm. professional and kind of kind of pick up and run with that new relationship as much as possible. So I think it was just getting them to the right spot. And even in this most recent it's funny, the comments that are kind of made in passing after they realize that that's going to happen, um, they begin to accept it and appreciate it. And the comments to some, like from some of the most recent ones were around some of those technology pieces where, well, does the the new firm, do they use Lycio? And they're like, no, they don't. And they're like, oh, thank God. You know, it's <laughs> like, I just want to go back to, sending unsecure emails and, um, it's just, okay. Like these people are going to serve you the way that they know how with the technology they have. And even something like that, like, you know, Lysio is not, but it's just one of those where there's, there's a fit for everybody out there.
0: And then last piece I think is the timing. So you've made the decision, you've found a referral when is, better timing because again, nobody wants to be broken up with. Nobody wants to receive this letter. We received a letter like that from our pool cleaning company and it still, and it still hurt. We, we, we had a different relationship with that business and we're like, wait a second, you're not even telling us who to call? Like, do you, do you have a, a referral or anything for us to go off of for the next people? Um, so that was kind of funny, but what's better timing?
1: Uh, so timing is after you get paid for whatever <laughs> your project was, um, uh, but all kidding aside, it usually it works best from October 15th through December 15th is the window that we see be the most successful. December 15th, you want to feel, you want them to feel like they have time to really engage or talk to that new service provider before the holiday season, before they need to file their next comp- compliance project and um, usually that's the best so uh, it also from a workflow perspective likely if it's an october 15th tax project you've kind of got all your whip in place you've invoiced your last invoice just talking mm-hmm. to you know some of the specifics within a firm and uh, you're kind of closing out that relationship with zero whip that you're carrying over writing off so,
0: yeah, I would say summer would maybe be another good time, but there are some drawbacks summer to gets summer lost.
1: Um, mm-hmm. so we did one as early as like July and I don't, I don't think his retention was as, as successful as, as, as possible just because the clients that were being transitioned made him work harder to get their business because they had more time yeah. to find a new relationship. So that not, not trying to, pull one over on anybody, but I just, we see that that October to December 15th really works the best.
0: Yeah. I think you would, you would think, well, they will have more time to find somebody, but because they had more time, they were like, I'll deal with that later, or perhaps missed it altogether because they were on vacation and, you know, it wasn't top of, it wasn't important at that time. So yeah, there's that's a possibility, but we didn't see that one as our best success um, after October 15th have been our best success. January, absolutely not. People will flip out on you (laughs) if you tell them in January they need to find someone and, and give them no one to go to because... There's are so many people who aren't accepting new clients, especially annual only tax clients.
1: Yeah. And the other tip I would, I would give people is once you've made the decision, don't go back. Um, yeah. so people will try to, I'll pay you more. I'll, I'll do whatever, uh, unless they are willing to do business in the way that you want to in the service line, which is very unlikely. Um, we've never had a situation where they've come back and they've wanted to opt into like a monthly service model or, or anything like that. So be careful with what they promise because they don't want to be broken up with. I would just continue to follow through, stick to your guns and say, this is the best path forward for you, not necessarily me. And so I I think that's where keep them in mind as the primary reason for doing this. And it's going to be fine. It will be awkward. And you'll have people that show up in tax season that just send you their stuff. And it's like, you're, you have to call them or your office to call them and say, did you get our letter? And they're like, what letter? And that that's awkward. And, but ultimately then you say, well, we've, you know, kinda had this conversation and here you go. And here's the best person to talk to about your current year tax return. So there is a, there's a lot of things that could happen. Not 99% of the time it goes smooth. And I would just say, follow through. You're always gonna have the bumps on the road, but just don't, don't let that or be the reason you don't do anything.
0: Yeah. And we've seen the fruit of kind of pruning that client list of things to make room for healthier growth, healthier relationships. We are not the only ones, lots of our peers in the industry, lots of other businesses outside of our industry have all seen the same thing. And so it just it takes a little time and definitely takes just making the decision to do it
1: yeah and i would say um, always another pro tip if you're going to keep some relationships and not others look at family groups um, because you could be terminating your relationship <laughs> with someone's sister daughter brother uncle whatever and that could make for an awkward situation so i would say group your clients by family groups first and see what is going on and make a decision to exit based on family group not necessarily individual clients and that will reduce the number of awkward conversations and i'm speaking from (laughs) it's those
0: sisters and daughters that you just
1: they don't don't don't
0: remember because they don't have the same last name and you're you know not with that type of relationship, not as intimately involved with them. So you don't know the ins and outs because a lot of times those were just looking at a once a year tax return. So,
1: and I think you, you hit on it, uh, pruning, it needs to be done annually. So regardless, if you're going to monetize, um, it gives the team new life that they won't have to deal with, not just this bad fit. And then also, um, you need to make room for those better relationships, kind of like talking to my friend. If he would, if he would prune every year, which I think he does, um, but you're, you're, some years you just have to do more than others to really give back capacity and and to really correct what has evolved into an unhealthy relationship with clients. And so that capacity building, if you follow those steps, you can get there, uh, you know, quick as quick as you'd like, but if you have to stay on top of it every year, and I would encourage businesses to really set the number of relationships that they want to work with every year. We keep coming back to this 150 uh, number, and if that's the number of slots that you have for family relationships, at 151, you've got to make room. You just don't have any more seats on the plane, and so I think that's where you really kind of have to look at what you're building align that with the long-term vision of the business and back into the client list don't lead with it and go from there
0: well this has been a great conversation i'm glad we are not breaking up um, Might I'm, be expensive. <laughs> I'm glad our ideal clients and our services are well defined. It's easier to say no rather than accepting someone in and then having to refer them on. So much easier once you've been through the process to maintain it over the long term. Um, anyway, it's been a good conversation. Thanks for leading. All right. Thanks for hanging with us to the end of another episode. Leave us a review with your thoughts, comments, and feedback on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes. Join us again next week for another great conversation.